0: Bible biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on Matthew, uh, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, I think, Mike, and one of the, what, 12 that Jesus chose to, to be with him, a sort of band of followers? Yes, um, called to
1: be um, a disciple of Jesus or ultimately called to be an apostle ah, of
0: what's Jesus.
1: The, ah, what's the difference? Well, sometimes the terms are used in an overlapping way. But disciple tends to be the more general word of a follower of Jesus. And clearly Jesus had many, both men and women, who were followers some of those followers were real disciples. They wanted to be taught by him and follow his way. Um, but Mark chapter 3 tells us that one day Jesus went up a mountainside and called them those he wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12, designating them apostles. The word apostle uh, comes from a Greek word meaning someone who is sent. So these are Twelve whom he will call from that wider circle of disciples whom are going to be key players that he will work with, whom he will appoint to send out with the gospel. And Matthew, our character in this episode, is one of those 12.
0: So obviously Jesus could have chosen any 12 (laughs) and he chooses amongst them Matthew. Who, Who was Matthew?
1: Matthew or Levi as he's also called. Mark and Luke tell us that he had a second name. Very common in those days to have uh, two names. Uh, Levi, a good uh, Hebrew name, Uh, Matthew, an Aramaic name. So Matthew or Levi is one of those original 12. Um, An unlikely character character. For Jesus to pick, as a number of them were actually. I mean, the interesting thing is when you look at the disciples or the apostles that Jesus calls. Um, you know, he he doesn't start by going amongst all the religious folk. He actually goes amongst the folk that the religious folk often despised, who weren't quotes good enough, who weren't spiritual enough, and it's among them that Jesus finds his closest followers. And Matthew would definitely have been excluded by the religious contingent because he was a tax collector.
0: Okay, so if you were choosing a football team, you wouldn't have chosen Matthew?
1: Uh, He would have definitely been the one you'd left right till the end, you know, the two who are left and you say, all right, I'll have him. But Jesus goes out of his way to choose him. Such an odd choice, humanly speaking, but Clearly, this is a lovely thing about Jesus. He doesn't look at what you are now. He looks at what he sees you can be. He looks at his vision of you. Even, you know, for for listeners today listening in, you may be really aware of what you are and how you fail. but Jesus looks at you and sees not just what you are. He sees what you can be if you put your life into his hands. And this guy certainly would not have been included at all in the football team. Um, tax collectors, I mean, tax collectors aren't particularly enjoyed today. Sorry to any tax collector listeners who are listening. But, you know, in in those days, um, tax collectors were not just seen as cheats. They were seen as collaborators with the occupying power, Rome. Remember at this time in Israel's history, it's being conquered. It's part of the Roman Empire. Now, what does the Roman emperor want from you more than anything else? Well, eventually you'll want a bit of your worship. That's not quite here on the scenario yet. But the one thing he definitely wants is, surprise, surprise for any politician, he wants your money. He wants your taxes. But, of course, getting taxes can be a bit of a fag. And, okay, they didn't fill in forms and things like that in those days, But it would be good if you could, like, get all your tax money up front and you didn't have to fuss about waiting for it or sending people out. So the Romans had a policy that was often called tax farming. So you're like a farmer but of taxes. And what used to happen was that people would pay a lump sum up front for the right to gather Rome's taxes for a particular district or region. And that's what Matthew had done. He'd paid a sum up front to the Roman emperor. And in exchange, the Roman emperor had provided him with authorization and more importantly, a bunch of soldiers to back up his tax demands. So how did Matthew make a profit and people like him? Well, they made a profit by overcharging on the taxes. And when you complained, as I can see you are just about to, David, Indeed. just look over my shoulder and I have a Roman soldier here to back up my demand for taxes. So they inflated the taxes. They added taxes on. You would often have to end up paying taxes each time you pass through yet another Roman district. Now, we know from the Gospels that Matthew was a tax collector in Capernaum. And Capernaum was really on one of the major trading highways that ran through Galilee. So that meant money. We also know that Herod Antipas, the ruler of that part of the country of Galilee, um, taxed fishermen. So every fish they caught, he wanted tax on. So you can imagine that Matthew would have been rubbing his hands with glee because this was a real money-making pitch to buy. Capernaum's on on the Sea of Galilee, is it? It's on the Sea of Galilee, and the major highway runs literally just on the edge of the town. So Matthew would have been sitting there, happily getting his taxes from the fishermen on the one side, from the trade that passed through on the other side, and every single time he took a tax, he would have added his cut. So tax collectors in New Testament times were seen as both cheats because they were charging you more than they ought to have done and you couldn't do a thing about it. Why? These soldiers over his shoulder.
0: He wasn't even a loan shark.
1: He wasn't even a loan shark. He was actually, he was worse than a loan shark in our culture today. But that's a really good example of perhaps how people might have seen him. A guy who was out to make money out of you when you were just a hard-working fisherman or tradesman. And he was this guy who was making extra money. And because he was doing it with Rome's authority, he's seen not only as a cheat, but he's seen as a collaborator. So when Jesus calls Matthew, people must have thought, Jesus,
0: you now have gone crazy. Because he's (laughs) choosing somebody with a reputation for sharp practice. He is.
1: But here's the lovely thing that we see in the Gospels again and again and again. Jesus does not go hunting for the nice people. You know, Nice people don't have any need of God. Um, even today in sort of affluent middle class areas, people can be very, very comfortable and have no need of God. It is often when you are having a need, whether it's a material need or genuine psychological or spiritual need, that you're aware that you need something that you don't have.
0: So why did Jesus need Matthew to be part of his band?
1: Well, let's just pick up on one word. He he didn't need Matthew because God doesn't need anyone, but here's the wonder of the gospel. God needs no one, but in his heart of love, he reaches out to all kinds of people. And I think in reaching out to Matthew, he is showing us what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. This is the gospel. This is the good news of a God who reaches out to people whom others have written off and who I suspect at times Matthew had written off himself as well. I'm sure he must have thought there was no room for him in the kingdom of God. After all, the scribes and the Pharisees would have told him that many, many times. But yet look at the Gospels and see the sort of people that Jesus chose. And, and they weren't all Romans, bad characters like this guy. Some of them were just ordinary working people, but who really weren't that religious. They certainly weren't like the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of the big challenges of the scribes and the Pharisees to Jesus was that He was so often eating and mixing with tax collectors and sinners was one of the phrases they often used. Tax collectors like Matthew. Sinners really meant anyone who didn't live up to their high religious standard. So here is Jesus modeling what the gospel is all about. It's not about who you are what you've done for good or for bad. It's about what
0: God can do with you and through you. So Matthew seems to be on a nice little earner here, and he's got quite an income generator going. What then happens when he is confronted by Jesus? Well, when Jesus
1: calls him. It's interesting where Jesus finds him, first of all, Matthew chapter nine, we we read about this, is he finds Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. So he's actually in the middle of making money. Now, I suppose that's the equivalent of us going into, you know, one of the uh, big money power brokers in the city of London and someone's just in the middle of doing a multi-million dollar deal and Jesus saying, would you just stop that for a minute? And come and follow me. And and that's what he says. He, He sees him and he says, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Was it just like that? Was it that Matthew had heard about Jesus before? You know, it's unlikely he'd not heard anything about him, but there must have been something about the way that Jesus spoke, the way that Jesus looked at him, that was compelling. That that was not just an invitation, but was almost a commanding, compelling invitation. So, as we read on, these that later that day, uh, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples back to his place uh, to go and have dinner with them. And of course, he invites all his friends. And who are all his friends? Well, they are quotes many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners.
0: These are in his own words.
1: These are in his own words because this is in the gospel that he will eventually write. And then he says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, I love this translation in the Christian Basics Bible, the New Living Translation, why does your teacher eat with such scum? (laughs) And that's a powerful translation that carries the sense of what the original is there. They looked down on these people as scum. They weren't good religious people like them. And and Jesus hears it and says, you know, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And, of course, these were people who were sick and recognized they were sick, recognized they had need. They had no pretense. And that's still the way into relationship with Jesus, isn't it? It's... It's coming off your high horse of all that you are and all that you have and owning up to, do you know what, Jesus, uh, I I just need you. And he was this bunch of people and something had so impacted Matthew that the first thing he does is he goes and gathers these other tax collectors and disreputable sinners,
0: it, and they gladly come and hear Jesus. In our sort of world today, would we actually sometimes prefer Jesus to meet the reputable individuals rather than the <laughs>
1: yeah. I think I think we would just as happened in in Jesus' time I mean one of the challenges for the scribes and the pharisees was this sort of intimacy that he had with what they saw as the the sort of the lawless element of society and I can always remember in my very first church where I was a pastor in One of the services I did one day, I think we were talking about the poor and I got one of my deacons to actually dress up as a poor guy and he put a wig on and he found some really old shabby clothing and uh, dirtied up his face and he came and sat in the congregation and he he said to me afterwards, and I was going to use him in the talk to to pull him out, but he said to me afterwards, he said, you know, even in a good church like ours, I I felt uncomfortable. I felt people looking at me, and that was a powerful um, lesson for me and one I was able to pick up on, and eventually we revealed this guy and sort of said, so has your attitude changed to him? now you see who it is. And I think for many of us, sadly, the answer is yes, and yet, you know, if our churches are going to be true churches, they shouldn't just be churches for the middle class, for the upper class. There, there there, should be every class. There should be people of of every background. There should be the rich, yes, but there should be the poor. And much of Jesus' ministry was directed towards the poor, towards those who recognize their own need, um, because so many of us today don't recognize our own need. we We can get on very well, thank you, very much. And Matthew certainly would have belonged to that category. What do you think Jesus
0: saw in Matthew? Very hard to know
1: because uh, none of the Gospels offer psychological insights um, because psychological insights simply didn't exist when these books were being written. So we get a much more factual account of what happened. But clearly God always sees what we don't see. And I think probably Jesus saw a couple of things. First of all, I think he saw that he would be an incredible model of the transformational power of the gospel. This man who thought he had everything but inside had a great big hole and a gap that when Jesus calls to me, he knows it's for him. But I think the second thing is he saw some of the skills that Matthew had that would prove to be incredibly useful one day. You see, uh, Matthew's work as a tax collector would have involved what? Well, obviously it would have involved writing, organizing lists, attention to detail. You know, he is not going to forget, David, that you have not (laughs) paid him for last month yet. So he's a great writer, organizer, detailed person. And this will be the Matthew who ends up writing the Gospel of Matthew that we now have in our Bibles. And what do we find in that book? Matthew is one of the most organized gospels of all four of them. He has things in clear sections. He's got clear parallels between what Jesus does and the Old Testament, just as Moses goes up Mount Sinai, so he's got Jesus going up the mount for the sermon on the mount, just as Moses gave the old law, so Jesus gives the new in inverted commas law on the mountain. So there are these constant parallels and gatherings and incredible attention to detail. And I think Jesus looked at him, and among other things, because God doesn't just take us to use us. You know, God calls us because he loves us first and foremost. But I think looking at this man, He, Jesus looked at him and loved him and thought, ah, i got a plan for you. I know what I'm going to get you to do one day, you know. And all this writing is not going to be for making you money. It's going to be for giving me glory as people read about what Jesus has done. So I think he sees something of that in him, though it's not just for that he takes him. He takes Matthew because he loves him and in loving him he sees the possibilities that Matthew will carry. And and Jesus still does that for us today. He looks at us and, you know, so many of the gifts and things that lay hidden within us sometimes, God sees them and and he's going to draw them out and use them for himself and that's one of the things I think that he saw in Matthew I can see you writing a gospel about me one day
0: you mentioned earlier that he was also accused of being a collaborator with the Roman authorities and yet has he written this gospel for a Jewish audience for his own people maybe to some extent balancing the criticism that he must have had that he perhaps wasn't one of their own Yes, I'm sure that
1: took some time to uh, to sort of throw off. I mean, even today, if people become Christians, perhaps from a certain background, perhaps they've been into drugs or they've been into stealing, it probably takes them a while before people really trust them. And it may well have been the case with Matthew. And the lovely thing about Matthew's gospel is that it is so rich in Jewish tradition. In fact, When I am giving a gospel to someone in the West today, if they're not a Christian and I want them to read the story of Jesus, I would never give them Matthew's gospel because you need to understand so much of the Old Testament to make sense of it. So I I tend to give them Mark, which is short and simple, or or Luke. Um, But Matthew is, is steeped in Jewish references, Jewish culture, and It's really very much a book to show to Jews that this Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. And Matthew roots his story um, in the story of the Old Testament. So even at the beginning, his very opening chapter is, well, frankly, what's a bit of a boring bit of the story for us He starts with a genealogy. Sort of family tree. A family tree, for goodness sake, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who does he start with? He starts with Abraham. It's interesting in the genealogy in Matthew, Matthew starts with Abraham and works through not every character, but the key characters in Jewish history to show Jesus is fully in line with them. Luke, who's writing for Gentiles, starts with Jesus and works back, not to Abraham, but to Adam, because Luke's gospel is the gospel for every man and every nation. So right from the opening chapter of Matthew, he's locating Jesus in the Old Testament story. And so I think, yes, perhaps seeking to redeem himself as well in letting him know that he too now is a true son of Israel, But he's become a son of Israel, not just through genetics, not just through birth, but through new birth. And he's trusting in this Jesus who has completely transformed his life.
0: So from this amazing encounter in his tax booth, his life is changed forever. And he's able to communicate that this very person is the Messiah, the longed for Messiah. It's It's quite an incredible discovery on his part. It is, isn't it? It, It's both
1: discovery and as we see in the Gospels, it was a journey of discovery. I know the word journey is often overused in our culture today, but we do see these disciples, these apostles, on a journey of understanding, and it looks like one minute they've got it and then it's one step forward and five steps back, They are on this journey of discovery, these 12 guys together and the wider group of disciples, both men and women, that Jesus gathered around him. So he's on this journey, and yet it's as he discovers this journey, he records the journey itself. It must have been fascinating when you think about it, to be writing a story that you yourself were part of, that you yourself had, I witnessed and remembering some of the detail of, of the stories. And at times recording their own stupidity, their own lack of faith, and yet slowly working towards that realization after the resurrection that Christ is indeed risen. And suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly, they realize who this Jesus is, so that by the end of his gospel, in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, Matthew records for us what we often call the Great Commission, where Jesus gathers his, oh, sadly, 11 disciples by now, isn't it? Because one, Judas has betrayed Mm -hmm. Jesus and he will be replaced in Acts chapter 1 and gathers these 11 disciples. And it's interesting that, that Matthew notes that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And here's this really human mixture of believing, but it's almost too good to believe. And, and, and so there are still some doubts there. And then he quotes those really well-known words among many Christians, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, here's the interesting thing, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew's seen it's not just for Jews. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, just like Matthew himself had learned. And surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So he is gathering up this story of Israel that stretches right back to Abraham. That works through the whole of the Old Testament that's come to a climax in Jesus the Messiah the son of God come among us who lived and taught and died and rose again and who now by the end of Matthew's gospel Matthew has become part of that community that Jesus is now sending out into the whole world to Jew and Gentile to spread this good news of Jesus who changes every life.
0: And Matthew is what one of these 12 apostles 12 being a significant number. Yes, why did Jesus choose 12?
1: You know, why not why not 10? That seems a good round number. Well, numbers were really significant in Jewish thinking and certainly numbers between 1 and 12 were used very significantly um, the number three often symbolized acts of God's power um so if you think things that happened on the third day Jonah came out of the whale on the third day mm. Christ came out of the tomb on the third day and so on uh, the number seven spoke of uh, Godness divinity so God rested on the seventh day but the number 12, always signified in Jewish thinking the whole people of God. Why? Because there were 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham had a son called Isaac who had a son called Jacob who had what? 12 sons that become the 12 founding fathers of the tribes of Israel. So why choose 12 and why choose 12 men? People often ask. Because what Jesus is doing here, it's almost as if he is re-founding Israel, re-establishing Israel in inverted commas. And as surely as Israel had once been established by 12 men who would head up 12 tribes, here is Jesus now establishing the new Israel, an Israel that will comprise of both believing Jew and believing Gentile. The defining mark now will no longer be ethnic or genetic. The defining mark will be faith in Jesus Christ. And both Jew and Gentile can enter into that. And these 12 apostles were meant to signify the founding of this or refounding of, yes, the old people of God, because it's the same story continuing, But it's now being refounded on a new basis, centred around Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. And that's why when we get to Acts chapter 1, the apostles felt it so important to replace Judas after he'd committed suicide after his betrayal of Jesus. And they said, we've got to appoint another one who's been a witness of these things with us since the beginning. So someone who could authenticate the stories of Jesus, but Even though there was a large crowd in that upper room in Acts chapter 1, the 11 were bereft. They needed one more who'd been there from the beginning, and so they cast lots, and this guy called Matthias, whom we never, ever hear about again, Hmm. uh, is added to the 12. Why? Because God is doing a new thing, forming a new people, yet a new people that continues the story of the old people, but now explodes so that it doesn't just contain the Jewish people of old, but both Jew and Gentile who will believe in Christ and follow him as Matthew did.
0: I've often wondered, as Matthew was a tax collector, what he thought of Jesus' teaching about money. Oh, I think it must have been
1: pretty challenging, don't you? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, he must have, at first he must have squirmed. Maybe at the end he was still squirming. Who knows? <laughs> but I think all of us, you know, when we come to faith in Jesus, we, we come with some history. We come with things that have been important to us. And it's not long before Jesus comes to every single one of us and says, by the way, I think we need a conversation about this. And we suddenly start to see what God thinks about the this. We look in his word and suddenly we start hearing it in sermons, left, right and centre. And I'm sure there must have been many times when, when Matthew squirmed, if not about how he felt about money now, about his memory of how he used to feel about money. But here's this guy who's utterly transformed, utterly changed, for whom money no longer becomes the the big thing. And I think, you know, one of the challenges he leaves us with is it's not about what we have been. It's about what God can make with us. And the secret for us is the same secret for Matthew, to get up from our table and to follow him, to leave behind the things that once ruled and governed our lives, and to little by little let Jesus start challenging them and changing them and making us, like Matthew, one of his useful followers. And when we do that, who knows what God can do with us, where he will send us, what he will do with us, how he will use us. I'm sure Matthew had no idea that 2,000 years after his life, you and I would be talking about him today. But that's what can happen when someone puts their life into the hands of Jesus.
0: David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations any time on the UCB Player or with your favourite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.